0: Join me, if you would, tonight in our study of the book of Esther. The book of Esther, and we're going to start with the fourth chapter tonight. The fourth chapter of the book of Esther. And we notice here that uh, I think it's through the next four chapters we're going to be dealing with uh, this trouble that is in Shushan the palace. And we find out for such a time as this is Esther raised to her position I do want to read a one passage in the last chapter, and that is in chapter 3 and verse 15. We left, that, left this point last time, chapter 3 and verse 15, the last verse of the last chapter, that uh, King Ahasuerus and Haman have sent out a message throughout all the kingdom. And they, they've been posts went out, And this is an English word that we still use today, our postman. We post a a letter. The post went out being hastened by the king's commandment. And the decree was given in Shushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. And then we have that little word, but. The city Shushan was perplexed. From this word, we find that it was troubled or it was disquieted. Another translation put it this way. The Jews that were in the city wept when they heard this. They were thrown into confusion or there was an uproar. There was a troubling in the kingdom. And we're going to see that taking place here. And It was in Shushan, and as soon as it would be in Shushan, it will soon be in the outer parts of the kingdom. So let's go over to chapter 4 now and begin reading here with verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Esther. And we find that Mordecai, in verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done. Now we're going to find out in just a little bit in this chapter that Mordecai had a copy of that letter. So they've done some really quick printing and they've got it ushered out. They've sent posts out throughout all the kingdom but Mordecai has a copy of this. Now he has a special copy of this because this copy is gonna be delivered to Queen Esther. There's no other reason in this world that Mordecai had that copy of that of that, uh, an announcement to most people would be enough. But Mordecai has been given a copy of that edict, all right? And it tells us here in this passage of scripture that Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. This sackcloth that we find here, I, I looked this up and it seems to be a, a uh, Hebrew idiom, sackcloth and ashes. It was something that they were familiar with and it spoke of having, uh, they donned this, uh, they put on these very coarse and probably most of those clothes are made out of goat hair, it says, and they put, or sprinkled, some ash on them and it was to demonstrate that they were contrite or sorry for some transgression and uh, this particular word is used in our language dates back to the 16th century and in england so before the printing of our translation we have this idiom introduced into the into the english language but we find that it is used several times in scripture if you'll notice with me in the book of um well We'll get there in just a moment. Let's read a little more. And uh, it says that he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. Now this is how Mordecai took the message that had been given to him. The impact on Mordecai. He heard... He perceived. He saw. He discovered. He learned. He became aware of, or he found out, what that edict had to say. That, uh, and he rent his clothes. Now, an interesting thing about this passage of scripture is that uh, when we look at Mordecai and him doing, going through this process, Mordecai knew why this edict had been sent out. He was the cause of it. What? He did not bow to Haman. He's the one. And we can just see this as we look at Mordecai and we see the, the effects of this uh, uh, on him, uh, the effects of what t- transpired and what took place. It's interesting just to consider that Mordecai is truly in great mourning about the people, the Jews, because of some of what he has done. Now, we know it wasn't lawful for him to bow down to Haman or bow down to Ahasuerus. It wasn't. That was not the the point. And he wasn't mad at Haman to begin with, and he wasn't mad at Ahasuerus to begin with. It was just a point. I'm not bowing. I can't bow. I will not worship a human being. I will not bow in the same way that I bow before my Almighty God. And we find that that experience with the three Hebrew children, and we find that experience with Daniel, they wouldn't bow. And if you're not going to bow, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. Three Hebrew children, thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Daniel, thrown into a lion's den. And we find out that in that, and it, it's to me, it is just an outstanding miracle of God's grace. Because very few people have been thrown into a burning, fiery furnace and ever lived to tell the tale. Or very many people were thrown into a lion's den and ever lived to tell the tale. Many of our forebears died in the, in the Colosseum in Rome or other places over the same thing. And they didn't, were not delivered, but these were, and they were delivered for our benefit. And they were delivered for us to notice that God is almighty and he rules and reigns and he takes care of his people as he sees fit. It's not up to us, it's up to him how we are delivered or not delivered. And we may, we may pass out in the night, in the sleep, or we may pass out in a tragic wreck. It doesn't matter. That's still going to be up to God. He may have been asked, as religion would ask, what must I do to be saved? Now, you know, when I grew up in church, that was always asked young people. What must I do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Well, we found out that there's nothing that we can do to be saved. We find out, that yet Mordecai, I knew that there was nothing he could do, and it was in the hands of someone else. The deliverance of the Jews was in the hands of someone else. There must be a better mediator than him. There's going to have to be someone higher up the chain than him. He cannot deliver the Jews. He can't even deliver himself from the consequences of his own actions. Just like we find Adam could not deliver himself from the consequences of his own actions. There was no fig leaves big enough. There was no tree big enough. There was no sacrifice big enough. It took Almighty God to deal with this. So we're going to find out that there's other people going to get involved in this. One of them is going to be Esther. She's the queen. Another one's going to get interested in this, and that's the king. How blessed it is to have someone that's higher up the line to take care of the problems that even we have created for ourselves. So Mordecai, he's the one that it must sit right at his feet, and we find that it sits right at Adam's feet, but everybody on this side of Adam also has the same problem. And it has to be dealt by someone higher than we are. We cannot get above ourselves. Uh, I I love my little cup here. It's got Sylvester on it. It's smiling on one side and frowning on the other, so you can tell what attitude I have. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't get the water in here any higher than the sides of the cup. And so it is with us. We can't get anything higher than ourselves. We have to depend on someone else to do, do with that. So as we go back here, we find in verse 2 of this, chapter 4, And it came even before the king's gate, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, now here is the consequences of that edict that has been sent out. It's finally getting out there. How long it took to get out to the inner lands, it doesn't tell us. But we do find out the results among God's people of that edict. Mordecai is going to have a copy of it. The rest of them is probably nailed to the doors of the church at Wittenberg or whatever. It's nailed to trees or whatever. And says, And in every province, whithersoever the king's command and his decree came, There was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. It's a troublesome time in the Persian Empire and it started with a man. Now he would not bow and the consequences of that are going to be great In Shushan the palace and in the rest of the area. We find here that the consequences of this 127 provinces are going to get posts with this message. 127 provinces are going to have the same message delivered unto them and that is all the Jews are going to be slain on a certain day and the day is listed in this edict. It is going to be the 13th day of the last month of the year. Now, how long it took for everything to get out there and all the announcements to be made, it doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that there is going to be enough time for everybody to read the edict, and there's going to be enough time, God blessed, that another edict can be sent out too. Now, we're going to follow that. We got the edict, the first one, all the Jews are going to be slain. And then we are going to give the edict, all the Jews can protect themselves. How blessed that there is enough time. The impact of this edict is far-reaching. The impact, they and he rent their clothes, and he and they sat in sackcloth and ashes. It was a clear and a real and a live threat, and everybody understood that. Now, we mentioned last week, who are these people out in the hinterlands that are Jews? They're the carpenters. They're the mathematicians. They're the doctors. They're, they're all of the important people that were taken out of, they were taken out of uh, Israel by King Nebuchadnezzar and taken over here. Why slay all these good fine minds? And he took them in, and they're the ones that, and their descendants are the ones that are going to be paying for this, uh, this edict that has been made out. Now, there's an interesting thing about this edict. We find, look at Esther chapter 1, if you would. Esther chapter 1. We find the same thing in Esther chapter 1 that we're going to find out here with regard to this edict. When a king of the Medes and the Persians makes an edict, a ruling, a law, we find out here in verse 19 of chapter 1 the effect of this, and that it is Something that cannot be altered. There's no way of changing this law. Notice here, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered. And we're going to find out, Daniel writes about this, that the laws of the Medes and the Persians could not be altered. It can't be voted out. (laughs) Now, we're going to find out that it can be circumvented, but it can't be voted out. It's still there. And it goes on to tell us that Vashti come not before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Well, turn with me on the same vein as we think about this edict that went out. It's in writing. It's been sent out by the post. It has brought a great hue and cry among the Jews that are out there. They're weeping and wailing and sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They are turned upside down by this command that has been sent out. Most of them, I'm sure, have been quite pleased with their position that they have in this kingdom. They have made money. (laughs) They have been good servants of the king, and to have this happen to them. Well, in the book of Daniel, it tells us again, this Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, And you know, there's so much similarity with regard to this law of the Medes and the Persians that are brought into the scripture by Almighty God to share with us (coughs) about the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant cannot be altered. It can't even be voted around. Because the three that are in charge of it are not going to vote around it. They have made an agreement in the council halls of eternity before the world ever began. They made an agreement, they made a covenant, and they're agreeing to it, and they're going to carry it out, and they do not change. So we don't have another court over here with the ability of changing it, and we don't have even a king that will change it. But here in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 8, we read these words about this law of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing. Now, this again is a negative effect upon God's people. And it cannot be changed. It says here that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Now, that is a pretty strict kingdom that they make a law. It cannot ever be changed. There's no amendments to it. There's no chance of changing it. And yet we find with regard to the everlasting covenant, God, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, has determined that once he does something and says something and proclaims something and puts it in writing like the covenant of grace, it shall not, it will not, it will never be changed. No man can ever, no matter how much authority, I have a friend up in Canada. You've met him on our site from time to time. Mike and Maryland went to visit him. He has a friend that he's been, his, his neighbor has asked him, would you mind coming over and studying the Bible with me? Well, Brother Ed said, well, the book of Romans would be a good place to start. So he went over there and he started bringing out the scriptures, especially in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And that man said, you know, if Paul had written those words today, they wouldn't be like that. He would have changed his mind on what to put down. Well, you know, that's so logical. Human logic at its best. Paul wouldn't have written what he wrote. Well, he didn't write it. He's a secretary. He did what the commander said. He did what the Holy Spirit gave him to write. It's not his words. In his earlier life, he would have been against him too. But in his Christian walk with God and re- recognize him as the sovereign overall, this is just how it is. And the church recognizes how it is. And we find out that God is better than the Medes and the Persians because all of his writings, all of his edicts, all of his laws, all of his rulings are in favor of the church for their deliverance. And he will not change. It isn't wonderful as a result of him not changing in, in, kind of in a, in a colossal law of the Medes and the Persians. In his colossal view, he won't change his mind about you and me. And somebody might lay a charge, as we read in the book of Romans, But who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies So he's saying, I voted for him. I wrote an edict for him. I have written it down in the covenant of grace. Their names are there. They're mine. I will not change my mind about them. So there's no discussion about it. Well, we read here that with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, it was also that way. In a microscopic way, a law was given. Three Hebrew children are going to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Daniel is going to be thrown into a lion's den. And it doesn't matter how much the king felt bad about it, he couldn't change it. And he comes with Daniel particularly and says, Are you still there, Daniel? Was your God able? Daniel said, Yeah, Lord came, shut the lion's mouth. Well, turn with me just a little bit further in the sixth chapter chapter. And verse 12, verse 12, Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Yes, that's the law. And then in verse 14 of this same chapter, then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased. Why? With himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And what was against it? The law of the Medes and the Persians. He couldn't change his mind about it. Well, and then in verse 18 of this, it says, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and a sleep went from him. What a statement concerning Daniel. A law is passed. a law, And you know, as we mentioned with King Ahasuerus, just like with this King Nebuchadnezzar, they don't even think about what they're signing. I'm thankful God was thinking about it. <laughs> All wisdom was poured out on our behalf. So, we have here the condition of what happened after the edict was handed out, how Mordecai went into great travail, how the children of Israel went into great travail. You know, there's another person that struck me that he was much in the same place when he found out, they're hunting me, and I'm the last one left. Would you turn with me to that? Wonderful brother over in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, and there in verse 10. Now there's a lady after him, she's the queen. Ahab's wife Jezebel. She could she could kill him in a heartbeat. She's ordered his death. It says and he said, "I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away." you think he's serious absolutely he saw it, he, he spoke it as he saw it now thank god he has an everlasting covenant and he has a law that is greater than the medes and the persians and he's not going to change his mind about this prophet it tells us there in verse 14 of this passage of scripture and he said i have been very jealous for the lord god of hosts you know what When I read about what he did, I think he was. And, you know, whether he should have been out out saying this or not, but he was a prophet of the Lord, called of the Lord. He didn't manufacture his call. He was called of the Lord. I love that passage of Scripture where the Lord said, Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors. That he, I believe, This prophet was sent forth. And he goes, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. What did the Lord tell Isaiah when he sent him forth? You're going to preach and preach and preach, and nobody's going to pay any attention to you. And all he could say is, how long do I do that? And he says, till the cities are gone. Don't stop, all right? Goes on here and says, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away verse 18 God says oh my I love this verse of scripture because it's just as applicable today as it was in that day there were 7,000 that this prophet didn't know existed 7,000 you would think that he would have crossed paths with one of them it says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. Now, you know, I, I could have understand a little bit more about that if that had been Judah. <laughs> Those two tribes, the line of the Lord Jesus, this is Israel. This is the 10 tribes that went off. Got a golden calf up here and we got a golden calf down here. And we're going to make sure that they don't go back to Jerusalem because if they go back to Jerusalem, they'll get mixed up with that religion again and we'll lose our kingdom. He said, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. They have not given in to the pressure. Now they may be hunted too. There may be a, a price on their head. But they have not bowed and they have not kissed this idol. What a statement. The Lord said, I have left me 7,000. They're mine. And so 7,001 in Israel, that's pretty good. (laughs) But it's all of the Lord. Now we're going to find out that the Lord is going to tell this man to go. Elijah, go ordain Elisha and he's going to take over for you and so forth and so on. But we find that in chapter 19 uh, oh, chapter nineteen verses 1 and 2, let's look at that. It says, And Ahab, now this is the reason. Here's the edict. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, by tomorrow about this time. If you're not killed by tomorrow I should be. So that's what he's talking about. There is a real threat on his life. There's a real threat on Mordecai's life. There's a real threat on every Jew in Shushan the palace and throughout the Persian empire. The 127 provinces there is this. Now Mordecai Mordecai had a A great deal on his side you know we're all have had will have or will have again some great things happen in our lives that we wish didn't happen in our lives and yet as Mordecai had so is all of God's people on the earth blessed because they know the joyful sound you know We don't have the name of the Lord mentioned in the book of Esther, but we have people who worship the Lord God Almighty. Mordecai is one of them, and another one is the queen, Esther. And there's going to be some more scattered throughout the province. Turn with me to the Psalms, if you would, as we find out Mordecai, even though in his great travail, he was a blessed man. He knew something about God. He knew the blessed message. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 89, in Psalm 89, we have this message left us Psalm 89 and verse 15. Blessed is the people. Now, what is that joyful sound? What is that joyful sound? Well, God saves his people, he changes not. It's a glorious gospel. It's a gospel of shed blood. It's a gospel of the shed blood of the Messiah or Christ as we look at him. It is good news. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. I'm convinced that Mordecai I knew that joyful sound. Now in a moment, he's caught up in such travail because he has been the one that got this all started. He's the one that it sits at his feet. And yet he knows the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. God has not forgotten him, and God has not put him aside, and God has not said, this is not for naught. This is going to take place. Also, we find out that the people are blessed. Turn with me back to the Psalm 32. Psalm 32, I'm convinced that Mordecai and Esther had this too, as we find, what a blessed statement. Whatever condition we are in, whatever should take place, what a blessing it is to hear these words. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Even with Mordecai bound up in sackcloth and ashes, prevented from entering into the presence of the king because of that, he knew what it was to have his sins, his transgressions forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed. Blessed is the man who with unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Blessed is that man. So Mordecai, even in the great position that he's in, or the rest of the people that knew anything about the gospel, they're still blessed. God has blessed them. He has taken care of their transgression. He has taken care of their sin, even though they're in tremendous mourning over the situation. And in Psalm 84, would you turn there with me in Psalm 84, as we think about what does Mordecai have, even though he is in this condition, even though he has had great mourning, even though he is in sackcloth and ashes, In Psalm 84 and verse 12, we read these words about the great work of God's covenant of grace that altereth not. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Blessed is the person who trusteth in thee. So we're going to have this conflict going on here in the book of Esther as we see what's taking place with this man, Mordecai. Shushan, the palace is affected. The provinces are affected. We find out that there is much going on throughout the land. The same response when the word came. This is like when the Lord brings the gospel to any place on earth. The results for his work, what? Repentance and faith. Sackcloth and ashes. By the way, if you get online, you can buy you some sackcloth. <laughs> it's amazing what the religionists have for everybody. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Now, there's a there's a, I don't know how many different languages are in the Persian Empire. But there's 127 provinces, and they have to have interpreters. Can you imagine the languages that had to be sent out? Or someone had to interpret that edict that went out. But here in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it's a wonderful passage of scripture that shares with us how far this great gospel has gone. It says here, they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book. In another place it says, worthy is the lamb. Do you think Mordecai could sing this? I do. I think he could sing this. Worthy is the Lamb. Or they sung a new song. Worthy, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of at least 127 provinces. (laughs) The Persian Empire. Out of every kindred and tongue and people And nation. What a demonstration of that just in this one empire. There are people all over that country that are identified as God's people and they get a death sentence. Guess what? We're all under a death sentence. What's going to happen about it? He that hath the Son hath life, even if the death sentence. He that hath the Son hath life. You know, Peter was put in almost the same situation that Mordecai is. 5,000 men plus women and children separated themselves from the assembly at Jesus' feet at one time. That's a big bunch. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Will you also go away? Was the Lord serious? Absolutely. What was Peter's response? To whom shall we turn? That's exactly what Mordecai could say too. And that's what every believer could say. Where am I going? Where would I go? Why? You have the words of eternal life. My whole life and my eternal life is dependent upon you. I can't go anywhere else. We don't find that Mordecai picked up his robes, his belongings, and headed for the border. He stayed right there. And we don't find that anybody else in that whole 127 provinces says Pack your bags, kids. We're leaving this place. They mourned. They were in great trepidation. They were in great fear for their lives. But they did not leave. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. Turn with me, if you would, in closing to the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. This and this is the record. Now, this is the record. This is the record that altereth not. (laughs) This is the covenant that altereth not. As a small picture, we can read about the the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. A king was so distraught with himself for passing the law without even thinking about it that he spent all night wondering what's going to happen to Daniel. Who was Daniel to him? Close advisor, a friend. (laughs) And he condemned him to the lion's den because he wrote an edict and couldn't be changed well this is the record it will not change it will not be altered that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in his son he that hath the son hath life he that hath not the son of God hath not life did you notice the change there he that hath the son hath life now those who have life know who this son is He's the Son of God. What did Peter say when Christ asked him, Who do you say that I am? He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. goes on to tell us in that very same birth, He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. They don't know Him for who He is. He is the Son of God. It is quite evident that everyone that is born again knows He's the Son of God. He's God the Son. He's the Son of Man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God-man. He is the Word come in the flesh. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. It's been written down in the book and it cannot be altered. It will not be changed. I will not erase any and I will not add any. (laughs) He has purposed in himself to do what he purposed to do. Alright, it goes on, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Isn't that an interesting statement made? If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. There's only one group of people that is concerned about the will of God, and that is the people of God. Now there we're going to see the will of God carried out there by all in Shushan the palace and all of the provinces. God's will is going to be carried out to the very last detail. He's going to protect all his people and the rest. What does he say? Doth not the potter have power over the clay? of one lump to make those into honor and the other lump to make them to dishonor? We're going to see the potter at work. Now he's going to use human frailty. We're going to have the queen finds out what the problem is. She's been kept from this. Her husband hasn't said a word. Haman hasn't said a word. Nobody's brought her anything. But now she's going to have it in her hand. And now... The Lord's going to use her to deliver the children of God. We'll stop there for tonight and pick this up, Lord willing, the next time.